God has been so good to us. And, uh, and again, uh, let's uh, continue in this spirit of thanksgiving this morning as we, uh, uh, again, reflect on God's faithfulness to our church over 30 years and, uh, again, the opportunity to go to his word. What a, what a blessing that is, right, to be able to learn from the God of the universe, his wisdom and guidance for our lives. And we're going to do that again this morning as we continue on in our series in the book of Judges. Uh, a series titled Peril and Promise. And uh, that title is very fitting for the passage that we're going to be in this morning as we uh, move into the story of a judge named Jephthah. And uh, we're going to see Jephthah's story is really a story of both heroism and heartbreak. Uh, it's one of the, the saddest stories in the book of Judges but it's one that there are uh, numerous lessons for us to learn from. This, uh, this morning, as we pick up in our series in Judges, I just wanted to share a quick reminder of, uh, of where this series falls in the whole history of the nation of Israel. If you recall from back a few weeks ago when we were starting this series, I talked about how the book of Judges covers a 350-year period in Israel's history. Uh, period basically from 1380 to 1050 B.C. So we're basically about a thousand, roughly a thousand years before the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And uh, this period of the judges, if you recall, literally revolves around seven cycles of rebellion that God's people, the Israelites, experienced upon entering into the promised land. So, so over this 350-year period that the book of Judges covers, uh, what we see in this book are seven cycles of Israel uh, following God in faithfulness and then turning their back on God, choosing to worship the, the false gods and false idols of the pagan culture around them. They end up falling into judgment as a result of that rebellion. God allows his judgment to come upon them, often through the oppression of outside forces. Sometimes, as we've seen, like last two weeks ago in our story of Abimelech, sometimes that oppression came internally, where Israel chose to accept a bramble king, if you remember our passage from uh, the account of Abimelech. And that led to civil war within the nation of Israel. But God brought his judgment upon his people for the sake of correction. Like a good parent will often bring punishment or discipline to their kids to help correct them. God does the same thing with his people. And so we see as this cycle goes from rebellion to, to God's retribution, his judgment on his people. And then Israel cries out to God. They cry out often in a, a spirit of repentance. Sometimes, as we're going to see today, uh, not in a spirit of repentance, but just in a spirit of sorrow over the consequences that they've fallen into. And then God in his grace and mercy delivers his people and, and brings them back once again. And it's this cycle over and over and over again that we see in the book of Judges seven times. Now today, we are entering into the sixth of these seven cycles of rebellion and retribution and repentance and restoration. This is the sixth of these seven cycles. Remember, we studied the, the tragic story of Abimelech, and after Abimelech, God allowed Israel to have a 45-year period of peace and blessing under the judgeships of Tola and Jair. And 45 years has gone by, and now today in our passage, we're going to see the cycle continue again for a sixth time. 
Now, what's interesting about these cycles in Israel's history during the period of the judges is every time a new cycle begins, these cycles are not just cyclical, but they're also cycles of spiraling downwards into greater and greater depths of sin and depravity and and ultimately judgment. And so we are close to the end of the book of Judges. And as we're going to see today, this cycle begins to spin desperately out of control. And Israel finds themselves in a dire, dire predicament here this morning. And then as we continue on into our final weeks, the story of Samson, we're going to see the cycle uh, come to its ultimate fruition and its ultimate uh, terrible end for the nation of Israel. But our passage this morning revolves around a deliverer that God raised up for his people, a man named Jephthah. And Jephthah, his story is one that is characterized by both heroism and heartbreak. We're going to see both of these things in in this man, this judge, this deliverer, Jephthah. Heroism and heartbreak. And, And ultimately what we're going to discover is Jephthah's story is a very human story. Jephthah's a really interesting reflection of the same kinds of things that each of us struggle with and the same challenges and the same trials and the same heartbreaks. And so there are many lessons that we can apply this morning as we look to this passage. We're in a long passage of scripture this morning. We're not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to skip a a portion of it for us. But we are in Judges chapter 10 verse 6 through 12 verse 7. It's a lengthy passage. I'm going to read the majority of it for us. I'll let you know where we're going to skip uh, as we get into it. But uh, let's pick up in Judges chapter 10, starting in verse 6. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. Otherwise, the text will be on the screen for you this morning. Forty-five years of gracious blessing has gone by under the judgeship of Tola and Jair. And now in verse 6, we read, The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And they served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the Ammonites. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim so that Israel was severely distressed. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites, from the Ammonites and from the Philistines? The Sidonians also and the Amalekites and the Maonites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I saved you out of their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods." Therefore, I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in your time of distress. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And he became impatient over the misery of Israel. Then the Ammonites were called to arms and they encamped in Gilead. 
And the people of Israel came together and they encamped at Mitzpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, come and be our leader, that we may fight against the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, that is why we have turned to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you bring me home again and fight against the Ammonites and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord will be witness between us if we do not do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mitzpah. Now we're going to skip verses 12 through 27 here. Jephthah, in this next section of scriptures that we're going to skip, he sends an embassy, an ambassador to the king of the Ammonites. Like a good leader, he's trying to avoid getting his country into war. And so he sends an ambassador to the, to the king of the Ammonites, trying to reason with him, trying to persuade him not to attack Israel. And his argument in these verses is threefold. He, he argues from history. He, he says, we have a right to this land. He argues theologically. Our God has given us this land. Your gods were not strong enough to save you. God gave us this land. And then he argues practically. He says, by the way, we've lived here for 300 years now, and none of your predecessors have ever had a problem with that. And, and so he raises this threefold argument. But then in verse 28, we pick up and read, but the king of the Ammonites did not listen to the words of Jephthah that he sent to him. Then the spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mitzpah of Gilead. And from Mitzpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hands, then whatever comes from the, out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's. And I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them. And the Lord gave them into his hand. And he struck them from Aror to the neighborhood of Mineth, 20 cities as far as Elbel Karimim, with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mitzpah. And behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter. You have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. 
And she said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, on the Ammonites. So she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone two months that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity, I and my companions. So he said, Go. Then he sent her away for two months, and she departed, she and her companions, and wept for her virginity on the mountains. At the end of the two months, she returned to her father, who did with her according to his vow that he had made. She had never known a man, and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gilead four days in the year. The men of Ephraim were called to arms, and they crossed to Zaphon and said to Jephthah, why did you cross over to fight against the Ammonites and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house over you with fire. And Jephthah said to them, I and my people had a great dispute with the Ammonites. And when I called you, you did not save me from their hand. And when I saw that you would not save me, I took my life in my hand and crossed over against the Ammonites. And the Lord gave them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? Then Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead struck Ephraim because they said, You are fugitives of Ephraim, you Gileadites, in the midst of Ephraim and Manasseh. And the Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan against the Ephraimites. And when any of the fugitives of Ephraim said, Let me go over, the men of Gilead said to him, Are you an Ephraimite? When he said no, they said to him, Then say Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. Then they seized him and slaughtered him at the fords of the Jordan. At that time, 42,000 Ephraimites fell. Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in his city in Gilead. Another crazy story here in the, in the book of Judges. It's a story of Israel's sin and depravity. It's a story of God's deliverance. It's a story of this imperfect hero, Jephthah. And it's a story of sad mistakes with tragic consequences. And there's much that we can learn from the judgeship of Jephthah. This morning, I want to highlight three findings. Three findings from the judgeship of Jephthah. I know this is a big passage of scripture, but there are three key insights that I'd like to point out from what we just read this morning. Number one, in this passage on the judgeship of Jephthah, we're reminded again of the peril of paganism. The peril of paganism. Our passage starts out in verses 6 through 14 of chapter 10, and here we find Israel spiraling downwards into the depths of sin and depravity. Verse 6 begins by declaring that Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And it's interesting, the evil that's noted here, we, we see this list, a, a sevenfold list of pagan gods that Israel had chosen to worship. They're, they're at this point in the history of their nation where they're literally worshiping every other god around them except Yahweh God. You, you read the list, and if you look at a map, I mean, it's the who's who of false deities, that Israel has chosen to worship. 
And yet we read that they forsook the Lord. They abandoned God. They rejected the God who had brought them into the promised land. They have now entered into the worst period of idolatry and rebellion against God that we see anywhere in the book of Judges. Friends, this is a picture of a culture in moral freefall. They did not serve the Lord, we read. They forsook the Lord. They did not serve the Lord. They failed to honor the Lord. They failed to worship him. Israel is in spiritual decline, moral freefall. You, you read this account of Israel here in, in Judges 6, 10, 6 through 14, and, and I can't help but look at the parallels to our own culture today. A culture that literally is worshiping every other God under the sun except the one true God. We, we worship gods like money and power and status and popularity and sex and substances. I mean, you name it. We have our gods that we chase after. And yet we forsake the one true God. We fail to worship him. We reject him. We dishonor him. We ignore him. This, this is what was taking place in the nation of Israel. And, and this is all a hallmark, friends, of a nation in decay. As a result of Israel's sin, we, we pick up in verses 7 and 8, we read that God condemns Israel to their worst period of oppression yet in their history. We read here in verses 7 and 8 that God sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites. Their God, their creator, their provider, their salvation literally gave them over to the oppression of these two evil pagan peoples, the Philistines and the Ammonites. Israel had betrayed God. They had chosen to follow false gods. But then those false gods betrayed them. And we read here in verses 7 and 8 that they are literally being crushed from the east and from the west. Crushed from the east, the nation of the Philistines on the coast of the Mediterranean. Crushed from the west, the western side of the, the Jordan River where the Ammonites were. And Israel finds themselves entrapped, literally crushed, the word is, from these two pagan cultures. Next week, we're going to start the story of Samson, God's deliverer that he raised up to deliver the people of Israel from the Philistines. But today, we're reading the story of Jephthah, his deliverer against the Ammonites. But Israel here is literally being crushed in between these two pagan cultures. It's an oppression, the Bible tells us, that lasted for 18 years. It's hard for us to even imagine what this kind of crisis would have been like. When, when, when the Bible describes Israel as literally being crushed under this oppression. You know, we, we've been blessed to, to live here in the United States of America where for generations we've never known the reality of, of war, at least domestically. 
We've grown up in a situation of peace and prosperity and plenty. And and this is a far cry from what Israel had experienced. Probably the best way to imagine what Israel was going through is to think about those images we've seen on the news this week of the people in Ukraine under the oppression of the Russians as they're being bombarded and civilians are being targeted and people are being killed and destroyed, buildings falling around them and, and millions of refugees fleeing running for their lives, and we've seen these horrific pictures of of people with blood-streamed faces and men and women and children crying in despair. This is probably what was taking place in the nation of Israel, except Israel had nowhere to run. They were literally being crushed from both sides. And this oppression lasted for 18 years. The, the picture of God's judgment on Israel here reminds me of the Apostle Paul's description of God's dealings with humanity's idolatry and rebellion. In the book of Romans, Paul speaks about the, the universal reality of men and women pursuing false idols and false gods. And in chapter 1, verses 21 through 25, the Apostle Paul says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. This is what was going on in Israel, friends. This is what is going on in our own country today. They became futile in their thinking. They became foolish. Their hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, for idols, resembling mortal man and birds and animals. Now, now we we don't worship idols like that today, but we have our own idols, don't we? Sex and money, and pleasure, right? We, we pursue all kinds of idols. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the, creator, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Verse 24 here, Paul says, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts. God gave them up. We've talked about that concept already where where God in his righteous judgment will simply give a person over to their sins. He'll allow them to reap the fruit of their sin and rebellion against him. That's what it means when it says God gave them up. Here in verse 24, Paul says God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts. That word lust in the Greek is apathumia, and it refers to an enslaving, uncontrollable desire. This is what God gives people over to in their idolatry. So I understand what Paul is saying here, friends. God's judgment for idolatry is further enslavement to idolatry. It's to be given up to our lusts. You see, to reject the one true God is to become a slave to our false gods. To reject the true source of life is to become enslaved to an unending quest for life and things that simply cannot provide it. That's God's judgment. He gives us over to our lusts. He says, you want to worship those idols? Fine, I'm going to give you those idols. And let's see if those idols ever really satisfy. 
Friends, have any of you experienced this reality in your life? Have you seen this reality play out in the lives of others? The pursuit of joy and lesser gods, money, status, sex, drugs. And where does this enslavement to idolatry end? But verse 9 in our passage tells us where it ended for the nation of Israel. It says they were severely distressed. This was the end of their idolatry, severe distress. Friends, this is always the inevitable end of idolatry. When we pursue false gods and forsake the one true God, thinking we're going to discover joy in these false gods, friends, the false gods offer joy, but it's a lie because they cannot ultimately provide it. They'll give you a taste for a time, for a season, but they ultimately prove themselves empty. And that's the lie of idolatry. They cannot give us true joy, true life, true peace, true contentment. Only God can give us that thing, those things. It's like when you go to a carnival and you go to the carnival and they have all the games set up, right? Have you ever been seen the carnival games, right? And you go to the carnival games and you're walking down the aisle of the carnival games and all the carnival games, what do they promote? These grand prizes, right? You got these massive stuffed animals and, you know, all these really cool prizes that you can win. And so you pay your couple bucks to play the game and what do you end up walking away with? A little plastic kazoo, right? Whoopee, I got a kazoo. Friends, that's the lie of idolatry. Grand promises. But what it delivers falls far short. And so Israel found themselves in severe distress. Again, the only inevitable outcome of idolatry. Now in verses 10 through 14, we, we see this fascinating exchange between the people of Israel and God. In verse 10, we read that Israel cries out to the Lord for relief. But in verses 13 and 14, God says to Israel, I will save you no more. Go cry to your other gods. Imagine how helpless Israel must have felt in that moment. Right? They've come to recognize that their other gods had led them to this place of despair. And now God says, I'm not going to help you anymore. Go cry to your other gods. Why did God refuse to save Israel here? The reason, friends, is because God knew their hearts. God knew that this wasn't a legitimate cry of repentance from his people. Israel's cry here was a cry for relief, not for renewal. They were sorry for the consequences of their sin, but not for the sin itself. And God knew that. He saw into their hearts. And friends, we need to understand this morning that there's a big difference between regret and repentance. See, see, one is horizontal, the other is vertical. Regret says, I don't like the consequences that my sin has created for me. I don't like the discomfort in my life. I don't like everything that, that my rebellion has led to. That, that's simply regret. 
but genuine repentance, a, a cry for genuine renewal. This is a vertical cry. This is a recognition that it's not just the consequences that are the problem, but it's the cause that's the problem. It's my rebellion against my creator that led to these consequences. And so genuine repentance recognizes that reality and and seeks God with a, a heart of true repentance, true sorrow, true desire to turn from our sin. And this is where we see God answer Israel when they come to him with a true spirit of repentance. This leads me to point number two this morning. We discover in the story of Jephthah the salvation that's found in surrender. Salvation in surrender. In verses 15 through 16, we we see that there's a genuine heart change in the people of Israel. The, The people of Israel, after God says, I won't save you anymore, go cry to your other gods. The people of Israel said to the Lord again, we have sinned due to us. Whatever seems good to you, only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and they served the Lord. And he became impatient over the misery of Israel. Here in these verses, we discover Israel is now fully surrendering themselves to God. Notice here, friends, there's, there's no conditions attached to their remorse. Israel says to God, do to us whatever you see fit, but please save us. This is a true spirit of repentance. This is a spirit of repentance that says, Lord, even if I don't get anything, I'm still going to turn to you. And this is when God recognized that he truly had Israel's hearts. And so they got rid of their pagan idols and, and we see their actions now matching their words and God is moved by Israel's misery and he raises up a deliverer for his people. This man named Jephthah. Now I want to talk about Jephthah here for a few minutes this morning because Jephthah is an interesting character. And isn't it interesting to note that in the person of Jephthah, First thing I want us to recognize in Jephthah, in the, in the person of Jephthah, we see once again, we've seen this already in a number of God's judges throughout our series. But here in Jephthah, we see once again how God is in the habit of turning the world's zeros into heaven's heroes. How many times have we seen this over and over again in the book of Judges? God taking people that the world despises, that the world looks down on, and using them for his eternal plans and purposes, for his honor and glory. We read Jephthah's background here at the beginning of chapter 11, the first three verses. We discover Jephthah, this this man who would ultimately become Israel's deliverer in the eyes of the world. I mean, you want to talk about a zero, somebody who has nothing going for him. You look at Jephthah, son of a prostitute, rejected by his family and people, forced to fend for himself in the harsh wilderness, driven away from his home. And yet, this man would become Israel's deliverer. This is the same pattern we see over and over again throughout the book of Judges. The world's zeros become heaven's heroes. By the grace of God. 
and through his empowerment. And friends, I want to encourage you this morning, don't ever buy the lie that your past disqualifies you from the future God wants for you. Don't ever buy that lie. No one's past is disqualifying when God's hand falls on somebody's life. God can turn any past around for his honor and glory. And we need to understand that when you think about the kind of person that God wants to use, God doesn't look for the ideal candidate. He looks for the real candidate. He looks for the person who has a heart of submission to him, an attitude of humility, who's willing to step out in faith and be used by God. That should be an encouragement for each of us here this morning. God can use any one of us if we're simply willing to be used. But there's another point I want us to see in Jephthah, this, this man who would ultimately become Israel's deliverer from the oppression of the Ammonites. You see, Jephthah, like some of our other judges that we've seen in this series, is actually a foreshadowing of our true and ultimate deliverer, Jesus Christ. See, see, Jephthah was an imperfect deliverer, but Jephthah points us to our perfect deliverer, Jesus. You know, we read Jephthah's story, right? The, the son of a prostitute, despised by his family, rejected by his people, forced into the wilderness. Friends, does that story sound like anyone else you remember? What does the prophet Isaiah tell us in Isaiah 53 about the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ? In Isaiah 53, verse 3, we read that he, Jesus, was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. The apostle John, in the opening of his gospel, John chapter 1, verses 11 through 12, John says of Jesus, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Friends, isn't this interesting? Here we have Jephthah and Jesus, both despised and rejected, and yet both would become the saviors of God's people. One an imperfect deliverer, one the perfect deliverer. See, this is one of the fundamental themes in the book of Judges. God gives these deliverers to his people to point them to the true and ultimate deliverer who is coming. The Messiah that we have the privilege of knowing, Jesus Christ. Our true deliverer, our true savior, our true Lord. And it's not just these similar backgrounds of Jephthah and Jesus that are interesting to note, but I want us to notice the key that unlocks God's deliverance through each of them. Well, what was the key that brought deliverance through Jephthah? What is the key that brings deliverance through Jesus Christ? We see it right here in John chapter 1, verse 12. What's the key? But to all who did receive him. To all who receive him. Friends, that's the key. That's the key to our deliverance. It comes by receiving Jesus as our Savior and Lord. 
And notice in our passage this morning, what was the key to Israel's deliverance through Jephthah? In chapter 11, verses 5 through 11, we we read about Israel coming to Jephthah. And their deliverance came in their reception of Jephthah and their submission to him as their leader and head. And friends, there's a principle here for us this morning. What's the principle? We need to recognize that rescue comes from reception and salvation is found in surrender. What saved the Israelites? It was their reception of Jephthah and their surrender to him as their head and their leader. What brings salvation to each of us today? Our reception of Jesus Christ and surrendering our lives to him as our leader and our head. Friends, this is what true repentance is all about. True repentance is about rejecting the idols of this world, receiving Jesus into our hearts, and then surrendering our lives to him, declaring him leader and head over all. That's what repentance is all about. The, The apostle Paul echoes this truth for us in his first letter to the Thessalonians in the New Testament. Paul speaks about the Thessalonians and what brought them to salvation. Look at what Paul says in verses 9 through 10 of chapter 1. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, among you Thessalonians, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Friends, what does Paul say here? Paul says, when we turn to God, forsaking our idols, Jesus saves us from the wrath to come. That's the good news. That's the gospel. This past month, February 12th, there was a large rodeo in the city of Belton, Texas, between Austin and Waco. Some of the best bull riders from around the country had gathered. One of these cowboys who was entered in the bull riding category that evening was a young man named Cody Hooks. Cody Hooks sat in the chute waiting for the gate to be opened and as he sat upon the back of this massive animal that was waiting to just literally buck him off and destroy him, you can imagine the nerves and the anxiety as he was you know, strapped to this bull. Suddenly the gate was released and the bull bolted out of the gate and started bucking this massive animal. Cody hung on for literally two bounces and was thrown off the bull and landed flat on his back and was immediately knocked out unconscious. His body shook violently for a second and then he went limp. As the bull charged through the arena, the bull handlers tried to corral the bull, but they weren't able to get the bull under control, and the bull turned and started charging directly towards Cody's lifeless body. All of a sudden, from over the fence of the arena, Cody's father, Landis, jumped into the arena, and he laid his body atop his son's. 
And as this charging ball came directly at them, Cody's father took the brunt of the force of the bull's charge. As that ball came in at full force to gorge Cody, his father took the blow. Friends, this is what Jesus Christ has done for us. Every single one of us here this morning, because of our sin and our rebellion against God, death and judgment is like a raging bull charging at each and every one of us. But Jesus Christ and his great love for us, he jumped into the arena of our world and he covered us. And he covered us through his shed blood given on the cross which shields us from the force of sin and death and the force of God's judgment. And he offers us life by giving his life. That's God's amazing grace, friends. The Apostle Paul in Romans 6.23 says that the wages of our sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, rescue comes from receiving Jesus Christ. And salvation is found in surrendering to him as Lord. Have you? Have you chosen to put your trust in Jesus to surrender your life to him? If not, there is no better time than this morning. Lastly, today in the story of Jephthah, we see the imprudence of ignorance. Our passage culminates in two heartbreaking and tragic events in the life of Jephthah and the nation of Israel. We, we see Jephthah's disastrous vow and his ultimate sacrifice of his daughter. And we see the Ephraimites' wounded pride and the resulting civil war and fratricide between the Ephraimites and the Gileadites. Now, there's a lot we could explore in each of these tragedies, but for the sake of time this morning, I want to simply deal with the root error from which both of them stem. What was at the heart of both of these tragic events? Friends, at the heart of both of these events was a common error. Israel had become ignorant of God's word. They had taken their eyes off of God's truth, off of God's revelation. Have you noticed as we've studied the book of Judges how little there is of God's word in any of these stories? Did you notice in the story of Jephthah that we read today, there's not one mention of God's word anywhere. Friends, these, these were people who were completely ignorant, spiritually blind. They, they remind me of the, the foolish builder Jesus speaks of in Matthew 7 who was building his house on the sand, not on the solid rock of God's word. And Israel had become a nation of spiritual fools. Jephthah's ignorance of God's word led him to embrace a false view of God. He didn't know who Yahweh God truly was. He treated God as if he was just another pagan God, a contractual God. You know, God, I know you told me you were going to deliver Israel, but, but God, here's the deal. I'm going to make a vow. I'm going to make a contract with you. I'm going to sacrifice whatever comes out of my house first, God, if you'll deliver us from the Ammonites. 
He didn't understand that God keeps his promises, that God is trustworthy and true, that God is a God of amazing grace. He didn't know the word of God that in Leviticus 27, God made provision for vows allowing people to be redeemed from those vows. And and because of his ignorance of God's word, it led to this heartbreaking tragedy of Jephthah sacrificing his daughter. Something that God explicitly condemned in Scripture. Ephraim's ignorance of God's word led them to forget their identity and calling from God. Their pride had led them to think that it was all about them and we're the, chief, we're the chief of all the tribes, right? How dare you slight us? They forgot that God's word called Israel as a band of brothers to represent God's holiness and righteousness to the world. That was their calling, to be a lighthouse shining the light of fidelity and faithfulness to the Lord and showing the world the benefits of that. But, but they ignored God's word, and they led Israel into this civil war, which led to the slaughter of the men of Ephraim, all because of their ignorance of God's word. Friends, this is why it is so important that we remain grounded in God's word. As King David cried out to the Lord in Psalm 119, 169, David says, let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Friend, all, friends, all of these tragedies that we read at the end of the story could have been avoided if Jephthah, if the Ephraimites had simply looked to God's word. They had it. They had the first five books of Moses. They knew who God's, God was. They knew who God, what God's will was. They knew God's instructions for life, but they lacked understanding because they didn't look to the word. And I think if there's any lesson for us to walk away with today, it's the reminder of just how important it is that we be people whose lives are rooted and grounded in the truth that God has given us. So often we find ourselves floundering through life, looking for guidance, looking for answers. And friends, maybe it's time to stop floundering through life and instead look to the author of life who's revealed his will that leads to life and life to the full. Like I said earlier, Jephthah is a very human story. It's a story that all of us can relate to, a story of sin, a story of repentance, a story of ignorance from lacking of God's word. But God gives us this story so that we might not fall into the same errors. Let's close in a word of prayer and recommit ourselves to walking faithfully in light of God's truth. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for this significant passage and the lessons we learned through the nation of Israel and through Jephthah, and both in the positive and in the negative, God. There are things that we can take away. And we recognize that you've given us your word to lead us and guide us. And so I pray, Lord, that we would receive your word with humility and that we would seek to put these lessons into practice in our own lives. Lord, if there's things that we need to repent of today, give us that spirit of repentance. If we need to turn to you and surrender our lives to you, Lord, may your spirit inspire us to do that even right here, right now, trusting you as our leader and head, looking to you as our only hope of salvation. 
And may we root our lives in your word, Lord. May we seek understanding in the truth that you've revealed to us so that we can avoid the error and heartbreak that Jephthah and Israel fell into as a result of their spiritual ignorance. God, you've given us the words that lead to life. Help us to treasure them. Help us to walk in them. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. It comes from the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 2. And now may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless you, friends. Have a terrific week. Hi, everybody. Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church. You can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free. And you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests. And we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage. And we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.